Hello and welcome to The Short Squeeze, a podcast about what's happening in financial markets in the coming week. I'm Lucy Battersby, editor of Markets Live, a daily live blog on the City Morning Herald and The Age websites. In this episode, we'll take a quick look at the economic data coming out this week. We'll discuss the latest Australian export product to be blacklisted by China, chat about Korean boy band videos, and discuss the Reserve Bank's quantitative easing program. Today, I'm joined by IG Markets analyst, Kyle Rodder. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning, Lucy. Uh, So just having a quick look at the economic data coming out, we've got some Reserve Bank insights at the start of this week uh, with the meeting minutes, uh, which might help clarify if rates are going to go lower. We've got a speech about financial markets and at the later end of the week, a speech about foreign exchange. Uh, In the middle of the week, Westpac's leading index is out on Wednesday. It's expected to show continuing growth, albeit a bit lower. Um, And at the end of the week is the market manufacturing data, which has had an enormous recovery since April and is expected to slow um, right down for September. Um, Overseas, I know that you like the macro overseas stuff. Uh, At the start of this week, it's China's GDP data, which is forecast to be back over 5%. Uh, Middle of the week, we get US housing construction growth and also UK inflation, which was last at a four-year low of 0.2%. And guess which country that was the same as? Japan, which is not a good thing for the UK economy, given Japan's ongoing struggles with inflation. Uh, Carl, is there anything in particular that you've been, um, that you're keen to see? Yeah, well, I think you've mostly covered them all off. I, I guess the big thing for me will be the Chinese data um, and also the, the, the manufacturing and services PMI surveys we get at the end of the week. The Chinese GDP figures, just because I think the, the market's still really relying on the, the Chinese economic recovery to be really the sort of linchpin of an industrial rebound at the very least, um, sort of a supply-side-led um, recovery in the global economy. Um, and obviously for the Australian economy that, you know, they'll probably once again drag us out of um, the quagmire of recession. Um, and then, you know, the other thing will be just sort of getting a bit of a health check on what's happening in, in Europe and, and North America as it relates to, to business activity, probably mostly uh, in Europe too, and as it relates to the services survey, um, just because there's these looming concerns that we're going back into lockdowns, that the virus has broken out again in those, in, in, in parts of Europe, um, and that start, may start to manifest in forward-looking indicators of economic activity. So it's going to be a pretty important week just in terms of getting, um, again, a bit of a health check on, on global growth. Okay, thanks very much. There's a growing list of Australian export products that are being banned by China. Uh, They're not being officially banned. There is uh, news creeping out about verbal instructions that operators of Chinese plants and factories should stop buying Australian produced um, uh, primary products like Last week it was coal um, and then came cotton. Earlier this year there were bans on beef imports from certain abattoirs uh, and a ban on barley. Um, Sounds like they might be going in alphabetical order. There was also an inquiry into wine dumping, which we uh, haven't seen the hearings on that yet. Um, It's a a growing tension between the two countries. Uh, Some people attribute it to Australia pushing for an inquiry into the coronavirus outbreak in China earlier this year. Um, 
And the, the real damage is really going to be done if China bans Australian iron ore, um, but that's our, our biggest product that we send there. But there's no sign of that yet. But it just adds to the uncertainty. You had some uh, Namoy cotton, their shares fell 6.7% last week when the cotton ban was announced. Um, there is this ongoing tension. Uh, Kyle, is there still a lot of concern about the tensions between China and the United States? That I haven't heard about that for a few months when their, their trade disputes seem to be the, the biggest concern to a lot of people on the stock market. Yeah, I mean, like anything or many things at the moment in the market, I think making a call on the trade war is effectively having to make a, a call on the election. So you have to work out really whether you're going to get another four years of Trump and Trumpism or whether you get um, a Biden presidency, which won't completely thwart um, tensions, but it will probably see the world move back slightly to a, a rules-based system of trade, um, and at least a, a more sort of liberal view of um, how trade disputes need to be managed, although hostilities won't go away. It is a very interesting one, though, what the Chinese are doing, because um, obviously we're caught in the crosshairs to some degree, and, and that's because of, again, our strategic allegiances and, and probably the way that we've inflamed um, the ire of um, Beijing for wanting to call an inquiry into to, um, the, the origins of the COVID virus uh, or the coronavirus. Um, but I think one thing that's probably not majorly reported is is the kind of just simple self-interest, economic self-interest that, you know, um, China is acting according to at the moment, which is something that other nation states are doing right now too, which is trying to secure their own industries, protect their own industries, um, and shore up their own supply chains, knowing that we're probably entering a, a more bifurcated uh, world politically and a more fragment, fragmented world economically. So I think it's a very complex situation what we're seeing here. Some of it's um, purely geopolitical and it's China flexing its muscles over us, um, but other, other parts is a, a much more long-term strategic play from the Chinese, which is to you know, support their local coal industries, um, you know, manage their local supply chain um, and make sure that they're, I suppose, they have, you know, um, security over their own industries at a, at a time where we're seeing, you know, economies and countries becoming um, increasingly protectionist uh, and insular. And one thing that does worry the Australian government is that these instructions are verbal. There's no uh, paper trail or there's no official announcement. So it becomes harder to trace or, or prosecute um, these actions um, according to global trade rules and we do have a free trade agreement with China so it, it, it is being done in a way that makes it very hard for Australia to, to, to imp enforce the rules that are out there. Yeah without a doubt and I think that's probably where you start to sort of look at where the um, uh, political tensions start to come into things where it's one thing for China to do these things and, and they could do it through the proper channels as I understand it um, eventually, um, the fact that they're doing it unilaterally and they're doing it quietly, sort of, and, and without, you know, as we keep getting told, picking up the phone to, to someone like, um, you know, our trade minister, Simon Birmingham, um, sort of says that obviously they're doing this with a disregard for our interests because they're not particularly happy with us right now. Okay, well, we'll see if there is another product that makes it onto this list. If you can see it, the world is yours to trade. For round-the-clock trading on an award-winning platform, visit IG.com. See it, IG it. All trading involves risks issued by IG Markets Limited, AFSL 220440. And welcome back. Um, this is the half of the podcast where we like to talk about topics that have caught our eye. Um, I want to talk about a topic that I am only a little familiar with, and I understand that there are people who are 
are heavily familiar with this. It's the K-pop world um, and in particular boy bands. And there was a company called Big Hit Entertainment, which listed on the South Korean market last week. It started with an initial price of $1.64 and jumped up 90% to $317 on the first day of trading. Um, this is all Australian dollars, I've converted it for you. Uh, on the second day of trading, however, it fell and closed at $247. So it's been on a rocky ride. Um, Big Hit's main source of income is a boy band called BTS. Uh, they've also got a few other artists, but they're not as well known and they're not as big earners as BTS. Uh, it was actually news to me that South Korea's stock market includes several companies uh, which run K-pop bands, um, boy bands and girl bands. Um, and Big Hit's market capitalization at the current share price is $8.4 billion. Um, even though it's profits, are going to be pretty modest. Um, for this first year, the profits are expected to be 110 million, going up to 282 million in 2022. Uh, but the IPO had massive hype. They'd been talking about an IPO since 2017, and the institutional offer was oversubscribed by 1,100 times. The retail offer was oversubscribed by 600 times. Um, and so it's just, it's, I mean, it's popularity. Uh, playing out on the stock market. Um, but I had a look at the share prices of the other uh, K-pop band, uh, band owners that are listed in South Korea, um, and they haven't actually done that well. The share price seems to go up and down and to fluctuate quite a lot with the popularity of the people that they have and the popularity of their music. For example, uh, the company that owns Psy, who did Gangnam Style um, back in 2008, they peaked at $71 in 2015 and last traded at $54, which isn't that much more than they floated. Um, and Kyle, you mentioned um, something about uh, American artists had also done some bonds in decades past. Uh, well, the one, one that I know of is um, David Bowie um, used to sell what was called Bowie bonds. Um, and effectively, I believe it was a securitization of his, of his music. So you could, you know, obviously, um, secure yourself a, a revenue stream from the, the royalties of, of Bowie's music and I think he was, um, as I understand it, a bit of a um, trailblazer when it came to those sorts of things. So I suppose, um, yeah, the world of arts and finance have been um, you know, linked before um, quite closely but yeah, this, this, this whole situation with uh, with uh, you know K-pop music and and, uh, and and the rest, it's a little bit outside my outside my knowledge and expertise. Um, you know, part of the cynic in me wants to say this must be the top of the market if if that sort sort of stuff's happening. But um, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe they're much wiser than me, and maybe this is um, this is the way of uh, investing in the future. And uh, you want to talk about something much more sensible. Uh, as well, the Reserve Bank and their quantitative easing program. Yes, well, some would say more sensible, some might say profligate, but um, uh, yeah, I wanted just to, to allude today to what we've seen in the bond market over the last week or so, particularly the 10-year um, yield, um, which has dived by about 10 to 15 basis points when, when I last checked. And effectively, after the sort of speech, and in, in particular the question time that we had uh, that come out of the speech from um, RBA, RBA Governor Lowe last week, where there was an allusion to QE and the, the bank sort of considering now seriously of whether to embark on a proper QE program. 
um, has seen the market really aggressively pricing the prospects of a of a you know a proper real deal quantitative easing program from the RBA in the future, which you know isn't about you know which is should be pointed out, and I do believe it to be so. Some people say it's just semantics, but it is different from their yield curve control program that they're currently employing. There is, um, yeah, the market now pricing in the, the prospect of a proper QE program from the RBA, which I think they've been brought through kicking and screaming. Um, but that's a big deal because one thing that we've seen in um, other markets around the world and other economies is that um, perhaps the efficacy in, in terms of the QE and in, in hitting inflation targets um, in particular uh, is, is mixed, but one thing it seems to do is, is certainly inflate asset prices, particularly property and stocks and other risky assets. So um, we're seeing a, a market now and an RBA now really coming on board with a, with a QE um, potential um, policy settings. Uh, so I'll be sort of fascinated to see how that plays out, particularly as we sort of peruse through the RBA minutes this week. Okay, thanks very much. This has been The Short Squeeze, a podcast produced by The Age and Sydney Morning Herald in conjunction with IG Markets. You can follow daily stock market news on our live blog. And feel free to subscribe to this podcast via your podcast platform. You can catch us again next week.